In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents... one person. Coming in from China. It's going to disappear. One day it's like a miracle. It will all all be great. We're going to be so good. This is a pandemic. The Betches Sup Podcast. No, I don't take responsibility at all. Hello and welcome to the Sup's Daily Coronacast. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Caitlin Bird. And the Coronacast is your daily rundown of all the latest news on COVID-19 and also other things, uh, how we're getting through them, and just how close we are to ending all of the crises. So <laughs> let's get into it. Hello, Caitlin. Hey. Hey. It's- <laughs> I, I want to put a theory to you that anytime we do the podcast together, whether it be like two weeks apart, two months apart, what happens in between is like the world completely changes 100%. Yeah. I think like we might be, we might be like timeline spotters or whatever. It's like <laughs> Something's going like, on. Like, oh, okay. Like what, what's happening is like, oh no, the timeline is disintegrating even more in between. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I just want to flag that for the listeners that at this point, when you see that Caitlin and I are doing an episode together, just just know that we're in it. We're yeah. in a place in the timeline. Yeah, be prepared prepared for like chaos having having exploded in between mm-hmm. uh, episodes. Yes. Um, last time we talked, we weren't in the middle of. Um, of uh yeah basically uh all of uh, american cities are kind of on fire um uh, the police are like threatening civilians regularly um yep yeah just lots of super fun stuff that we thought we'd like we thought that these were all like history reels and now they're not <laughs> now they're like today reels <laughs> yeah that's something me and amanda were talking about yesterday because both of us had we're talking about having watched the la 92 documentary recently where they talk about what happened in the 90s and then also the watts riots prior and just to see like literally the same exact sentences being said by people spontaneously who are involved in all three actions is just wild. So um, I'm going to just get in really briefly to the headlines of last night. So uh, last night, curfews were in effect in a number of major cities. The clashes between police and the protesters last night seemed like they were less explosive than maybe of the past couple of days. But that's still not true everywhere. We saw many disturbing images, as we discussed yesterday. Um, we're actually working to compile an article on Betches that we will continually reshare that's kind of compiling a lot of what we're seeing on the ground at these protests in these clashes between police and protesters, specifically what the police are doing to the protesters. Um, I know there was a pretty tense standoff on the Manhattan Bridge last night that I was kind of following 
along with. I did see that a man dressed as Spider-Man attended, which is... It's the most New York thing to happen in a, <laughs> in a moment. So I'm going to be... I'm, I'm, I'm down with it, you know? In times of crisis, New York needs Spider-Man, so... Um... Exactly. And I did like to think about all the people, you know, all the, like, anti-looting people being like, that Spider-Man is a menace! <laughs> like, actually, like, from the comic book. It's like getting their J. Jonah Jameson on. Exactly. <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah, so, again, what's been going on... Um, I kept seeing, like, a lot of last night being framed as, like, the violence has ended, but that's, you know, not necessarily true. So, um, and we still need to talk about the violence that had been happening. So, in Atlanta, six officers were fired after a video showing them tasing and assaulting a black couple went viral. Um, In Nebraska, a man has not been charged for killing 22-year-old James Skurlock during protests earlier this week. And police also killed a Louisville man named David McCatty, who owned a local barbecue. Um, And he would actually often let the police eat for free there, which is just a really sad detail. Uh, Louisville Metro Police Chief Steve Conrad actually fired the two officers involved in this after finding out that they had not activated their body cameras. So um, the circumstances around that are still being investigated, but it's just, I mean, it's not, I guess I, I, I'm hesitating now to say that anything is crazy because I don't not believe anything at this point, but um, this is literally happening. The thing we're protesting is happening during the protests and that's what's important for us to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when I was, like, saying, like, like newsreel stuff, like, it's not just, like, 1992, it's not just the Watts riots, it's not just, like, it's also going, like, all the way back. It looks, like, people aren't wearing their Sunday best, but, like, it feels a lot like 61, 62, 63. You're looking at, like, people who are out marching peacefully getting attacked by the police. And, like, that's that's basically where we were. 50 years ago, which was, you know, we had a more centralized structure for it. And I think that that kind of lent itself to people believing certain things or certain mythologies after the fact about like how the civil rights movement happened. But it more or less looks a lot like what's happening now, which is that just because it wasn't this because this is less organized. It's done so that way the, the leadership, a lot of the people who are doing the organizing are not as vulnerable as MLK and the Southern Leadership Conference, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, LCLC, that basically all had to like lock down their houses forever and like, you know, because they get they would get firebombed and whatever, because they're known they got a lot of attacks. Whereas now because it's decentralized, less less danger, but it's still the same narrative. It's still we want to be treated like humans and the government basically saying, nah, son. And just like, forever. Yeah. I mean, one sentiment that I've also seen that has also struck me is it's just like, it's really interesting to see how quickly the national guard, the military, everything can be mobilized to deal with these protests, but we can't get masks being handed out to anybody. Yep. We can't get we can't get testing centers put up. We can't get any of that stuff. But like full tanks can line like entire freeways in LA in yeah. a day. Yeah, 
I mean, when when we like, it's it's particularly interesting in the midst of a pandemic to see what the government says it can and cannot do, right? Like we're here being like, hmm. Well, I guess we're just gonna all have to stay in because we can't figure out how ways to get like things to people, and we're we're doing this for each other. And you know, I'm now admittedly a little bit worried about how much of the the virus is going to spread having done tons of public events where we don't socially distance um particularly in communities that were already facing problems at a higher rate than their mainstream ones so this is super unfun from that perspective police departments actually also had a ton of people um affected by COVID-19 um so like even them coming out to like face down protest or whatever like you're also in danger like the we're we're actually all putting each other in danger right now um, right and then the ones who are but, arrested but now they're in a holding cell oh man the arrests uh prisons still have not had any kind of coordinated response to covid so i'm really worried about people in jails and prisons right now um you know, especially people who are just being held for whatever on uh, whatever bullshit charge the police want to hold them on. Um, well, Caitlin, I don't want to check you on something, but Paul Manafort did get transferred out of prison because no, of COVID nineteen. Right. So right. we have and protected. Not- <laughs> we have protected Paul Manafort. <laughs> and and Michael Cohen left prison. That's true. So there's that. Yeah. You know, Michael Flynn is working on it. The DOJ has dropped the charges. They're just, you know? Yeah, he's just patiently waiting. You know what? There's a lot of liberty happening here. So maybe maybe I'm just, I am tripping a little bit. Thank you. (laughs) Bring me back. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's just like a lot. There's like so much happening. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wanted to get into the fact that like that, Regular people, like we, there's a lot of focus on um, on the police, rightly so, rightly so. I don't want to take off the focus from the police, um, but that systemic racism happens everywhere. So of course, there's still regular people just being hella racist. Um, about two days ago, in uh, not Central Park, but like on a on a like park on the Upper West Side, it's a public space. Um, a black woman was just like sitting, minding her business, and like this white woman came up and was like, "What are you doing here? Are you smoking marijuana?" And she was like, "I'm, I'm minding my business." And then it became like a thing, and the woman called the police on her, despite the fact that there was ab- absolutely no reason to do that. And also, we're in the middle of like, if you, like the lack of self awareness involved in that just kind of blew my mind. Um, uh, Svetlana Flom uh, basically called. Uh, the police on this woman uh, who and she called more than once like the police were like no and then she was like oh I'll find another reason for you to come up here and then said that she was th- the woman was threatening her and her her kids um, the woman took Instagram videos uh, up to I think about 10 videos and basically uh, during the, the filming people would come up to her and be like are you okay <laughs> because the the white woman just continued to harass her for being in a on a bench in her neighborhood. Um, yeah. So regular racism still happening. Yeah. <laughs> just garden variety. Um, and 
that that kind of brings me to um you know, I've been kind of very lucky. I've gotten a lot of um support from a lot of people. People have called up on me and made sure I'm okay. Um but there's also been a lot of like what are we, what should we do? You know, like Caitlin, you know, you you're involved in all this stuff like what what do what do we do? And um which is like a really hard question to answer. <laughs> Um, like, I don't know. Um, people have been pulling out places to donate. Um, there's, there's tons of resources to contribute to, to going out and protesting. I've, I've been really encouraged by how many people have been out. Um, some people taking advantage of that for their own emotional needs. I don't know if that's appropriate if you're a white person. Anyway, Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, being mad at strip malls is not a great reason right now to burn things. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, um, from, from like a doing perspective, I think one of the things that kind of struck me as I, as I kind of emerged from, from like trying not to think about how bad everything is, um, was like, oh, well, well, it's a practice, mm-hmm. you know, um, racism, like anti-racism is not like a discrete act it requires like doing work and it's going to require, I, I would point out like racism took like a few centuries to build and it's very rare that any problem this big gets solved in less time it took to create. Yeah. <laughs> Deeply unlikely. You're probably not going to see the end of this in your lifetime. Sorry. My bad. Harriet didn't think she'd see it either. And mm-hmm. as it turned out, she was correct. Like, <laughs> Black people didn't get free. So sorry. She died before she got to see like us vote. You know, everybody's got to live with, with reality that, like, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, uh, W.B. Du Bois, um, MLK, literally all of them died before they got to see the the fruits of their labor. So, yeah. you know, we're all kind of stuck in the same boat. But at the same time, we can still move the ball forward. We, we all those people did a ton of work moving the ball forward. Um, and you can, too. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. 
You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. So like, Elise, like, what have you kind of like felt about like this whole situation? Because this is like, this is a lot. This is like a lot. Yeah. I mean, for me, I feel like it's been a lot of reading other people's posts. You know, yesterday there was the Blackout Tuesday situation. I decided to take that time and actually do what I, it was supposed to do, which is like read the thoughts of other Black people and activists and just kind of for me, I've just been kind of trying to compile what seemed to be like good and thoughtful resources because I realized, I guess one thing that struck me is like, I'm, I'm like a history lover. That's kind of my thing. And I've just been really struck by how little of black history we're taught and how wrong much of what we're taught is. So I've kind of set a little personal goal to myself to kind of try to rectify that personally and read some like resources and stuff like that. But I know that like emotionally I've just felt confused and like also kind of pulling back about like, do I, I I don't know, like how do I put like being upset about what's going on, but then also being like, I should, um, I should not prioritize my upsetness in this moment also and not be the type of person who's like, well, I'm upset. So I'm logging off right now. Cause I don't want to deal with it and be like, well, actually you have to sit with this today. So that's kind of what I've been thinking about. Wow. That's like, <laughs> that's like incredible. It's like, uh, I'm, I, <laughs> I'm like the crying emoji, but like, like the happy, like the, the happy. Emoji. Oh, good. <laughs> the crying emoji. No, because, like, one of the things I was going to do, one of the things I want to talk about is actually, like, history is, like, the place where you should probably start. Like, that's, we have this story of how we got here that's very inaccurate because it's missing a whole section of the story. Um, And it's kind of, like, I actually retweeted, like, a few days ago this massive history thread that actually talked about, about, like, 50 or 60 different incidents. that had happened across American history that were basically just the equivalent of American pogroms. Um, effectively, it was, it was racial terrorism yeah. designed to make black people afraid of establishing any kind of safety or life. Um, and it goes, I mean, that thread goes all the way back. It's going back to like the 1810s. So it starts from like this place where it's like, you know, 
um, you're you're really talking about like a whole history that didn't get shared, um, either because my people weren't allowed to read and write, so that history didn't get put down, or because they basically murdered all the survivors, or because white people just didn't care about no like, if for example the Tulsa race massacre, which is probably one of the more famous ones right now. If anyone watch Watchmen, I don't know if people do that. Um, mm-hmm. But the point is that it had come up recently, and uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, they were like, "Oh, we're going to add this to the curriculum now." And I was like, "Yeah, it's, it's a not- century." It wasn't on the curriculum <laughs> in Tulsa. It wasn't on the curriculum in T- Tulsa, and most essentially, they actually removed the headlines from the archives in the newspapers. Like, the newspapers themselves had removed and destroyed the actual newspaper evidence that it ever happened. And so they, as they've been doing construction in Tulsa, they've, like, found mass graves and found, like, that maybe the death toll as originally reported was inaccurate. Um, and like that's like super dark sorry everybody um but (laughs) the the point is is that like this history is has always been told as like there have only been like notable flashpoints like when we ended slavery and then again when we did civil rights and i'm like well that seems kind of weird that there's like a hundred years where white people and black people just didn't interact apparently and people like nah nah that didn't just everything was just like cool and whatever i was like okay, really? That's, that's your story about race relations in the United States. Um, yeah, so, it's really like, yeah. it's been really making me think about, you know, because I went to public school in Virginia. Uh, so if you can believe they, that they have an agenda when they are teaching <laughs> about uh, the Civil War and other things of that nature. So I've just been thinking about really like the insidious nature of like how we teach even like the civil rights movement and the way the way it's talked about is like I definitely as a young like white kid in school just got the sense that I was like the civil rights movement happened and everything is better now because it happened and like Martin Luther King was great and then he died and I'm actually not sure what the deal was with that but like you know I was like what what did happen to him and like I feel like they just skip over it they're like he was killed and it's really sad but also like we don't really talk about that part either and what it means and who did that and the circumstances surrounding that like you never learn that yeah like there's to some degree like it's it's kind of interesting how often on on Twitter which is where I live like if Twitter were a physical location, I would probably have a three bedroom condo. So just <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> I I I more or less like live there, and so I see lots of interactions, and I obviously follow lots of uh, other Black people on the platform. And so many interactions are like people coming up and being like, "Dr. King wouldn't want this," and from like white people, and people are like, "He got shot." Like, he's telling us that the peaceful way is going to, like, liberate us. He's dead. He's right? a mar- In our community, he's a murderer. He's not, like, <laughs> no one ever is like, wow, that worked out real well. Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and also, when he was alive, it wasn't like everyone was like, you know what? That guy's doing the right thing. 
we get it. Like we, it's not like white America was like, yeah, we're into it. Like that's not what was going on then either. So it's true. And I'd actually like to point out that there's a pretty consistent number across American history or about mm, only about one third of white Americans are usually like on board with black liberation. Um, we actually have like a whole period in our history where like the people who were the white people who were radical Republicans were treated as like crazy psychos. <laughs> Basically they're like black people should be able to vote. Maybe they should be able to own property. Maybe they're full blown humans. And people were like, what? It was like crazy. Yeah. And they're like, Jediah's not coming that. to Thanksgiving. He's done. <laughs> Um, and, and so like the, and they, there's actually polling from, I went and looked this up in Gallup and they, there was like about 60% of white people who were like, this civil rights movement thing is going to hurt equality. <laughs> um, <at the> time, <laughs> this was like right after the March on Washington, which is one of the most famous moments of civil rights protest we have in this country and about like 70% at that point of where people were like, nah, not feeling it. Yes. <laughs> like, because like, I mean, because it's all excuses. Like it's the same people who are like, well, I support what they're saying, but they're just like, they're destroying their own neighborhood. And that's so sad. And it's like, they're actually hurting themselves. And it's like, no, I think that they, most people who are engaged in that know exactly who they're hurting and who that is aimed at. Like the yeah. Chase Bank is like gonna be fine. Yeah, I I am obsessed with videos of white people like cleaning up Chase Bank, and I'm like, they have billions of dollars. They will yeah, clean it up don't... tomorrow. And you try calling them and telling them that your payment's gonna be late, and see if they help you. Call them and be like, well, I actually cleaned graffiti off the Chase Bank, and see if they'll even like let you speak to a supervisor. They won't. And I I actually really think about um you know, the people who are in Minneapolis who are like, okay, things got destroyed and they're small businesses. And that's yeah. like really bad. It's yeah. really hard to reconcile. But a bunch of the small business owners, um, some of their kids, some of their, their, even their grandkids were coming out and being like, look, property, we really loved and respected it. Like it was part of our lives, but honestly, like we'll be okay. Like the fact that dead people are happening, that seems like a much bigger thing than whether or not we can rebuild a store. And in fact, of course, as soon as something like, you say something like, it really doesn't matter to me that the property is damaged. We really want to be supportive to the community at this point. A lot of people were like, we're going to give you money to rebuild. So like almost immediately you got like this community support. Yeah. For people being like, oh, wow, you're really doing what it means to support a community. You're not talking about like, oh, well, people's lives are less important than my money. And that is exactly the thing that gets people to reinvest and make the, bring the businesses back for the people who can't afford necessarily to do it. But giant yeah. corporations will be fine, you guys. Don't, don't, don't do that. Um, getting, getting kind of like the history thing, I, I'm just, just a, I just want to admit, I'm a giant nerd. Um, so I actually was trawling around the internet looking for Lincoln's House Divided speech because this feels like a really great moment to discuss House Divided. Um, and... I like actually read it, which is a kind of like, I know that sounds kind of like stupid, but like we spend a lot of time discussing things about this country and like we only know like the Cliff Notes version, which yeah. is how we ended up with like Martin Luther King, like freed us all. And then you're like, mm -hmm. 
wait, what? You know, I know. like exactly that discrepancy. Literally, so, to uh, hear the- like to hear Twitter tell it, the only thing Martin Luther King ever talked about was how we should all be nice to white people. Like it's like crazy. <laughs> I'm like, what are you? People are crazy. So going all the way, going all the way back, uh, Lincoln's house divided speech was actually given when he was running for Senate, not when he was running for president. Um, A lot of people like conflate the two. It's really important because he like got thumped for his Senate seat. He got completely... He, mm-hmm. he was definitely not winning. Also, that was a time when state legislators picked your senator, so that campaign was not organized the same way as modern political campaigns. I feel like I need to explain that because mm-hmm. people get weird. Um, and basically, he was straight up like, yo, uh, it seems to be that slave power has developed an entire conspiracy to like use the levers of government to say that slavery is okay and it's going to be okay everywhere momentarily, and we as people who are like, nah, slavery's not cool. And people are like, slavery or everyone dies. Um, we're eventually gonna have to work that out. And this crisis is gonna happen and we're gonna need to be like one or the other. And people really did not want to hear that. <laughs> and that's why he lost the Senate campaign. And interestingly enough, uh, so I was thinking about like, what it means to have like solidarity. And like, that was a moment where he was like, you know, I believe in this cause enough to point out the costs involved. And it actually cost him something, right? He wanted to be a senator and he was not allowed to be a senator because he pointed out a truth that everyone knew. But it came back to help him become president because that exact speech kind of reset. Once, once things didn't get fixed, right? You, 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 in theory, elect somebody to do certain kinds of works. So that way you don't collapse into civil war. In theory! <laughs> <laughs> and, like then we ended up there anyway and mm-hmm. as it turned out people were like well why why are we you know lincoln had the the answer to that whole pro-slavery movement so mm-hmm. that's why he got elected uh, in 1860 was the sense that like in fact they was they do do want to create some pushback against the pro-slavery faction of the american government um, which is massively overrepresented at the time. We like to talk about the Civil War as like two equal sides. It was not, the, the American South had 9 million people, a third of whom were enslaved, and the American North had 22 million people, <laughs> very few of whom were enslaved. And that, when you put the two together, it's kind of like, well, you were never going to win this fight. You had <laughs> compared to like 22 million they had all the manufacturing. What, what were you thinking? Um, and they were thinking that slavery is awesome and we can't live without it. So that's mm-hmm. pretty much where that came from. But as a practice of solidarity, you know, like it came with a cost, but it's worth it to like really interrogate what is happening around you that's like making white supremacy happen. Um, because that's the real argument here, right? It's like some people think that they have the right to do whatever they want because they are a part of a master race. And that filters down to every last thing, all the way down to why is this woman sitting in my park when she shouldn't be here? Or why is this guy telling me that I have to put a leash on my dog when I'm, I'm a member of the good people? Whatever I do is implicitly mm-hmm. good. Like that whole thought process comes down to like really tiny things that you don't necessarily even – think about for yourself 
And the same thing happens on our end, which is why, you know, there's an entire set of things that black people do, you know, the talk, all this other stuff, like this anger is the product of centuries of being told that we're inferior for no reason. Um, and feeling like, okay, oh, we're inferior. Okay. We're going to fuck some shit up now. That's, a, that's what's going to happen. So <laughs> mm-hmm. like, like if you look at these from these two perspectives where people are just like for no reason, saying that and then depriving people of resources on the basis that they don't deserve them because they're not good enough to deserve resources. We end up in this like infinite cycle where we're horribly deprived and really angry about it for pretty reasonable, mm-hmm. you know, logic. And then white people are like, well, why can't you ever get your act together? And like, you need to get your act together before we're going to give you resources. And we're like, you, what, what's your act together? Like just genociding everybody. And yeah. <laughs> what, what, how is this equivalent? I mean, people, white people in this country, as of three weeks ago, were rioting because they couldn't be at Arby's. Like, it was, like, they, it, it's just so interesting. <laughs> like, the smallest deprivation to, like, to white people is like, oh, my God, this is, li- like, our liberty, our freedom, everything the Constitution stood for is under attack. And then you have cops that are like tear gassing peaceful protesters and they're just like crickets. It's it's like like watching, you know, just people like shrug like I don't even know that that was a thing. Maybe they should have done everything becomes comes down to like their agency, right? Like, oh, you you must have done something to deserve this because like trying to keep the thought in your head that like maybe <laughs> is horribly unjustified and like we live in a country where some people get to experience America and other people get to experience uh, centuries of racial terrorism like that's a really hard thing to balance and that then in some ways we've built the liberty that certain people experience on top of other people experiencing racial terrorism the yes. two are interconnected that like you don't get to go back to your salon without there being a hairdresser who has to risk her life to do your hair or a cleaning person who has to come in and clean at night because we've covered all of our services in nasty human germs that will murder us. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's people to take people's power from them or what feels like taking their power from them. Cause there's, there's that quote that's like, Oh my God, I'm going to like misquote it, but where it's like equality feels like oppression if you haven't been equal before. Um, people don't want to give their their power up and it's it's hard to convince some people. Well, also I do think that like the superpowers that be have convinced more like mid-level white people that all everything that they have is under threat by people of color at all times. Yeah. And they've just created this like wall of understanding that I'm hoping is in the process of being broken down. But like you said, it took centuries to build it and it's going to take a lot of work from a lot of people for a long time to tear it down too. Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about like, and this is a really gracious thing and I'm not going to slam anybody who's trying right now. Cause I think like the most important thing you can do is try. That is, that is the essence of building solidarity, is just trying. And the thing is, is that, like, you can't stop trying. Like, when you stop trying, you're like, oh, this takes so much effort. What about I just don't try for a moment? 
like any time in between, um, you know, you, you lose track of, like someone's going to be suffering in a space where you're not trying. And at least mm-hmm. trying doesn't mean that all suffering ends. And I think that's like a really bad place to put it. But like, it gives you a sense that like, okay, at least we're pushing against this thing that has taken forever to, to build. And it's worth it to continue trying because somewhere in the process of trying, you're saving somebody who wouldn't have been saved. And I think like that, that really comes down to it. Um, but I, I think that it also really comes down to really inspecting what it means to live as a person in this society. I saw like a whole bunch of people who were like, we're sacrificing our white privilege. And I was like, that is a very sweet concept, but you can't do that. You can't, no one can give up your white privilege. That's not how this works. <laughs> you have to use it. Use it. <laughs> you know, like, a lot of it is, like, willing to be the, there. I saw, in like, um, initially in, in Minnesota, I, I saw a lot of white people literally becoming human shields for uh, black people, you know? And, like, yeah. literally, like, a black person step forward and, like, a white person would, like, run and put their body in between the black person and the cops. And, like, that's a terrifying thing, but the advantage of the white privilege is it gives you a level of plot armor that you normally don't have. And even if you do have it, or, or like, even if that is penetrated and, like, throughout a huge chunk of the civil rights movement, many, I want to be clear, white people died. More black people died, like, significantly more black people. But, yes, white people, white people died, and those, those actually became huge impetuses to further the movement. Like, a huge chunk of that success was built on the fact, like, wait, our kids? Our my, my young college student, you mess with them? Excuse mm-hmm. me, because they were doing some nice stuff for some other people? Absolutely not. You were absolutely not going to murder my child because they were, were being nice, okay? We're, we're starting some shit. I'm talking to the manager, manager of this country, you know? And, like, white moms got up, and they were like, you can't do that? And we were like, oh, okay, well, I guess however equality is going to happen, sure. White people yelling at the president, like, stop murdering the white children who are getting involved in this be like well can't do that until we stop murdering anybody who participates in this and they're like whatever make it happen you know so it it definitely got a lot of attention so like yeah uh, white people have sacrificed you know for for movements for uh black people and uh, you've got uh uh james cheney andrew goodwin goodman and michael swerner um James Cheney was actually black, but the two uh, white civil rights workers who were with him really initiated like a firestorm around that and created a lot of investigation. And ultimately that led to the statute of violating civil rights because the police did it. Speaking of police violence. Um, and you, you've got James Robb who died during Selma. Um, and who, again, sparked national outrage. Uh, his family was contacted um, by the president of the United States, Lyndon Johnson, at the time, and that created a lot of uh, visibility. Um, that's not to say, like, you should be ready to die, and I would not suggest that for anybody at all in any ma- meaningful way. Just the nature of being a white person involved in these protests, though, does mean that you are uh, basically using your privilege to shield people 
and giving more light and illumination to a space that really, really has not been looked at. And I would say that one of the most important things to do is continue interrogating the spaces that have been dark throughout our history, throughout ourselves, um, the ways in which we've been trained. And I want to be clear that no one, no one started like this. None of us started being like, wow, those brown people, they're the worst. Absolutely zero people have come out of the womb being racist. No one started being racist, okay? It's not, it's not a, an intrinsic thing, which means that it is a choice. And if you are making that choice, some of it's unconscious and a whole bunch is not. And the question is, like, how can you start unpacking the shit that's not conscious that's, or that is conscious that you do that maybe is not as helpful. And the easiest way to do that is to read a lot of black people, to learn a lot about uh, the history and perspectives that haven't been illuminated. And sometimes, you know, just to sit down and shut up. And you'll end up in situations like that. But if you're out there protesting, the most important thing you can do is make sure that your white body is between a brown person and police force because police force will slow down when white people are involved. Those look like their neighbors and their friends and their friends' kids, and it's much harder to instigate real violence against people who are doing the heavy lifting of like physically being present where black people and brown people cannot be safe. Yeah, absolutely. And this is Amanda, Elise, uh, her internet dropped off. She also texted apologizing profusely. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think that that's great advice. And also like some of the, some of the images we have seen that have been disturbing are of white people being assaulted by police. I've been trying not to share too much of, I feel like there's just enough images of black people being brutalized out there. A lot of the scenes are of like, this is just police brutality. What's happening too. It generally kills black people, but a lot of there's, they're unleashing violence on, on everybody. So hopefully it shouldn't have to take this time killing a white person or killing an ally that's out there to make people pay attention. No. And, and we all need to, I guess like one of the most important things is again, reaching a certain level of awareness. You know, when Elise said she was doing the history and the reading and all this other stuff, like that's my general recommendation. It's always been do the reading, you know, like, and for me, that's like how I stop and listen and learn about things that I don't experience personally. But, like, this experience right now is, like, tearing the country apart. Um, fueled on by the white supremacist president. Um, and in that case, like, it's kind of important to, like, try to catch up as much as you can, right? To try to figure out where you can fit in. And the truth is that because racism is so widespread and so intense, the truth is you don't have to be out there all the time. Like, very few people need to be feeling like they need to be out there all the time. If you want to do that, if that's the way that you feel empowered, absolutely. But there's a lot of stuff that you can just do by unpacking things. You can also challenge other white people. Number one way of being safe is like just having those conversations with other white people. It's really hard to do, but pointing them in the direction of resources that can say like, look, maybe you don't agree with me. Maybe you don't see what I'm doing, but like, this is how I learned. So maybe go read this person. I have an archive on my Patreon of lots of different writing that has done a lot um i write about all of basically everything but yeah of, like, it's so useful politics, yeah politics so, yeah absolutely that's one yeah resource and as you were saying like talk to your white friends about what you've learned and how you've learned it honestly the things the the 
as I've learned things, they usually, the biggest things I have learned have come from moments that have been embarrassing and uncomfortable for me when I did or said something or realized something. And I was like, shit, that I didn't, that I realized what I just did or said, and that felt bad. But that's really how you learn like most things in life is discomfort. And this is no different. So I've sort of been thinking of it as like, I'm doing some of my friends a favor as like one time I did this and I realized how it sounded and it was terrible and it made me feel bad. And now I know not to do that. And so now I'm telling you, so you maybe don't have to experience that publicly or or whatever. Um, Hopefully your friends will see it that way as you doing, doing them a favor. But yeah, I mean, if it's uncomfortable to learn this stuff, it's because like learning anything should be uncomfortable. Yeah. Growth is hard. Growth is painful. We're, yes. we're all doing that right now. Like every one of us is growing. Um, and it, it requires, it requires a certain amount of emotional and self-sacrifice, right? You know, you, you might not get what you want immediately. The house divided speech was the right thing to say, but people were like, don't say that thing. Yeah. And <laughs> ended up being president of the United States. He also ultimately ended up getting shot, but let's not focus too much on that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's not, it was all worth effortless. It, you know? Right. Right. If anyone's expecting this to be effortless, then they're not, it's, it's it wouldn't be yeah. worth doing if it was effortless. Thank you so much, Caitlin. So your Patreon, Caitlin's Patreon is linked in. We have a highlight on our page that says resources and there are like, you have different tiers and stuff. So like different levels, although I'm sure you will soon become addicted and want more. <laughs> I upped my tier last night. Thank you so much, Caitlin. I hope you take care. And we really, you've been, you're always so generous with your thoughts and experiences and and we know it's not easy all the time. And we're so, so grateful. I'm grateful to be here. It's awesome to have such awesome people to work with and have space to talk about these things. And like, that's also a piece of allyship, making space for people to to tell you the things that are hard to hear. So I'm really grateful for that. Thank you. Until the return of democracy, I am Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. The Sup is created by Sammy Fishbein. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to Sup at Betches.com. 